Ding! Welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent. I'm here today with Chris. Brent. And TJ. Hey. And David. Hello. And we are going to be talking about our homework from just last week, <laughs> if last week was three months ago. Uh, Synecdoche, New York. Signed by, we don't remember who assigned this. You uh, did. Maybe. Are you? Yeah, it could be me. <laughs> I, I, I'm... We got a one in four shot that that is correct. Uh, so I nominated it sight unseen for the talk of fame and uh, still sight unseen. I was going to say, and you will talk about it sight unseen. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'll go ahead and get that out of the way. I will be abstaining from the vote process today. <laughs> you get it out of the way. We're going to keep bringing it up <laughs> <laughs> because uh, my well, first off, it got removed from Netflix unexpectedly uh, very recently, and. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah it got taken on by crackle and while uh watching it today on crackle my crackle app just froze and uh instead of reinstalling it and watching all those videos again uh, yeah yeah sony has got like a well, from when this goes live, it's got a 72-hour window to sponsor this podcast, or else I'm going to flame crackle every time I can, because <laughs> my experience with the app was also pretty miserable. That would be the but. greatest podcast sponsor of all time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Your, your Sony crackle yeah. homework of the week. selling underwear and mattresses and shit. We got fucking Sony. What would be great is if... Uh, it was one of those podcast ads where I had to read the thing about Crackle at the end, where I had to say the nice things. Always quality, always reliable. Right. Uh, Go and see what's crackling on Sony Crackle today. What? It had been a long time since I tried to watch anything on Crackle, because Crackle has always been garbage. And so uh, I tried, and I was like, hey, maybe with all these streaming apps doing so well right now, maybe Sony's improved this a little bit. No, no Sony is They've handing its lunch to Disney. Kind of found a way to make it worse. <laughs> Crackle yeah. worked better ten years ago than it does now. <laughs> Crackle worked better as a mini chocolate bar streaming <laughs> movies. <laughs> so, uh, I'm still interested in, uh, I'm, I'm going to go watch this movie at some point. But, uh, yeah, I've only got about 60 minutes into it today. Alright, but you guys are going to put it through the gauntlet. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, number one. Was this movie entertaining? Do you want to give us a rundown of the plot first, Brent? Oh yeah, I forgot, to, I forgot how we do this. It's been a while since we've done a talk of fame. I mostly brought that up because I think it's going to be great hearing Brent learn things about this movie as he reads it. How many of these sentences are going to end with, apparently? <laughs> Alright. Uh, yeah, in case you don't know, this is the directorial debut. He had written some movies, but this is the directorial debut for Charlie Kaufman. And... Uh, Stars Philip Seymour Hoffman as a uh, theater director working on a stage production. Yeah. It's a simple little plot. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Um, no, really, does someone want to streamline this instead of... Because I will just read the Wikipedia. Go plot. for it, David. Sure. Uh, so, Caden Cotard is, uh, is Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's doing Death of a Salesman, this, like weird presentation where all the old people are played by young people and everybody thinks that's so great. Um, he lives with Adele who's a miniature painting or miniature painter. Not that she's miniature. She makes miniature paintings and has a young girl uh, daughter. Olive. Olive. Yeah. Yeah. So um, from this he's kind of like a neurotic guy. He always thinks he's kind of a hypochondriac. He always thinks he's kind of dying. And then he wins a MacArthur Genius Grant that gives him money to do whatever he wants to do artistically, essentially for the rest of his life within the movie. Yeah. Although an actual MacArthur Genius Grant it's is a like... a million dollars. No yeah. questions asked. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, so what he... He has some trouble finding out what he's going to do. He's going to... He's going to stage a play that's going to talk about the mundanity of life. And... Uh, to do so, he's doing it in like these huge productions where he's renting out warehouses to capture everyday life, and it's his everyday life. So it's uh, the person who's a actress in his play is a character, and she starts playing herself. You know, learning the play within the play, and uh, eventually he casts someone to be 
Um, he's got an assistant, cast someone to be an assistant, and cast someone to play himself in this uh, simulacra play, you know, trying to be life. Um, a lot of surrealistic uh, touches throughout the thing, but eventually he's, his body kind of does start breaking down, and people he loves starts dying, and it kind of just goes through that. He has an affair, then relationship with his assistant, Hazel, who lives in a burning building, of course. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, I don't know, it just kind of goes on from there. Uh, his wife moves away to Germany, never coming back, um, and uh, leaves with a daughter and with her friend Maria. Um, that causes some strain on him. Um, all the while, he's still expanding his play until it's essentially like a large city of warehouses within a larger warehouse, you know, thing in the thing. <laughs> and, the, and the content of the play is basically... His life's events, but just the day previous. Yeah. Eventually replaces himself a couple mm -hmm. times. Yeah. He gives he gives people, uh, like, uh, his direction is just a bunch of note cards of, like, for this random person, it's like you just found a lump in your breast, or, like, you know, all these weird directions, or he says, like, I took a shit and it was gray, that's what we're going to film today. <laughs> um, eventually, he keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. <laughs> And uh, he's he's now becomes a character in his play and has turned over the reins of being the director to one of the actresses. And he takes on the role of a maid of an apartment who was the um, real maid of his wife that kind of jumps into the uh, the city every now and then from from Germany. Which and is which is a which is a task that he did earlier in real life, also previous to this happening. Yes. I'm pretty sure. Yes. You see this a lot. There's a funeral he attends, and then he stages the funeral. You know, he's cleaning a bathroom toilet, and then stages cleaning the bathroom and the toilet, and then eventually stages the staging of the cleaning of the bathroom <laughs> yeah. and the toilet. And then eventually, uh, <laughs> all the while, the it's basically the apocalypse. The world is ending. There's, like, um, there's, there's troops that are stationed in the city that he's in, and there's a... Um, the, there's an uprising of people, and a bunch of people are are uh, killed, and tanks go through the city, and eventually he um, he says keeps saying like I finally know how to do this play about 117 times. The final time when he's describing it, the person he has hired to play the director, who was himself, tells him to die, and then the film is over. She <laughs> <laughs> nailed it. I feel like that was slightly easier than Mulholland Drive, but a lot harder than a lot of... Mulholland Drive was a feat. That was an incredible <laughs> recap. Yeah. This one, I'm just proud that you got through it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, just a heads up for our listeners, and I just thought of this, and this is a heads up for you guys right now. It's a storming, or it looks like it might storm, so... There's at least thunder outside. So if the audio quality suddenly changes, just know that we've gone to a backup recording, which I'm going to start now. Nice. We can continue talking about this video. So... ...be as entertaining as that plot sounds. Because that plot sounds very entertaining. The first question may be the most difficult one. <laughs> I mean, I was definitely entertained. Yeah. I don't know. It may have just been because I was trying to keep up. And sure. it was fun. That's too. that Kaufman aesthetic, too, that you get with, like, uh, adaptation as well, which is mm -hmm. just, like, a lot of... Kind of? I feel like... An anomaly, so you just don't really know what's real. And, and like... What's on the screen. I have, I have a rough analogy that I am playing with in my head. That this it, this felt like like pulling a puzzle box off of a shelf and opening it and it's got a thousand pieces in it, but they're all from different puzzles. <laughs> and the the whole movie is like realizing that once you flip all the pieces over and they're all gray, that they'll still fit together. Yeah. And it's just like coming to that while watching this. I think is the entertaining part. Just kind of seeing all of the machines just like grinding at the same time, and then kind of putting together the cohesive themes and stories as you watch it. Mental exercise than, like, an enjoyable movie. It's, it's very it's very clever. Yeah. Um, as far as whimsy or humor, I mean, it's here and there in the surrealistic, surrealistic touches. 
I'm a fan of like dreamlike logic whenever it's in a movie. This one um, is more like a a dream where you're at work, kind of. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna ask. Is it is this movie? Was it did it feel like work for y'all? To like more so than most movies. Uh, a little bit. I mean, there's no. I don't think there's any real passive watching of it. Uh, right. Because if you bl- That's definitely true. if yeah. you blink, you'll miss an entire scene. Like I had to uh, rewatch the scene when they're walking back from the second night of Death of a Salesman because I I like missed that his like his wife in in the span of uh, like thirty seconds basically tears him down as a human being and gives him the motivation for the rest of the movie. And it was just like, it's just so brutal that I didn't expect it. And so I'm just kind of like, oh, they went to the play. I'm not really paying attention. And then I heard her basically tell him, like, uh, are you going to be some fucking blue-haired suburbanite, like, peddling to, like, local theater fans? And it was just like, holy shit. Because everybody does Death of a Salesman. Even a clever new way to do Death of a Salesman is just doing someone else's work. And then Charlie Kaufman did Death of a Salesman (laughs) and made us all watch it. I mean, this movie's fucking Death of a Salesman. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I, I was looking at the uh, I went to Willie Loman's Wikipedia page and the first two sentences are he's 63 years old unstable insecure and self-deluded he tends to reimagine events from the past as if they were real and I was like that's the movie I watched <laughs> so yeah I mean he never stops doing that throughout the film it would seem but to answer that question it didn't really seem like a chore Okay. It was just hard to follow at times. Yeah. Because yeah. it's Death of a Salesman inside Death of a Salesman inside Death of a Salesman. There's like so many layers. Yeah. Did you have an emotional response to this movie or is this movie just so like intellectual, intellectually stimulating that you're, you don't really find room for the emotion? There are scenes that are super sad. It's almost. Uh, his sad. daughter like disowning him at the end is yeah. fucking heartbreaking. Almost yeah. sadistically sad. Yeah. His daughter says like, admit that you're, uh, it says the F word for a gay person and tell how you had anal sex with your lover and if you do that I'll forgive you and at the end of it she doesn't forgive him and then she dies. Yeah. <laughs> In front of him. Yeah. It's like it's sadistically kind of um, maybe even masochistically because I think you can see a lot of the own writer in the own in his own story there. Right. Look, sounds like he's torturing himself for his neuroses. Like, if he's a hypochondriac and is afraid of death, he's putting his character through, like, the ringer of, like, what an absurd thing that is. Right. Yeah. A little bit of OCD mixed in with his hypochondria, too. Mm-hmm. It's it's amusing that you're like, and then Charlie Kaufman did Death of a Salesman. This is Death of a Salesman. Because the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm, I'm like, oh, Cotard is Donnie Kaufman from Adaptation. Yeah. He is 100% Donnie Kaufman. Well... In, in Andy Kaufman's defense, he has directed three movies, and they have all been Death of a Salesman. Right. <laughs> but so. but the, the, the imaginary or not imaginary twin brother from Adaptation, even at one point, is like, Ouroboros. He's like, what? He's like, the snake eating itself. You can't write yourself into your own story. Which, this is one... Like, there's six layers of this. Right. Um, I only bring that up to... Uh, I guess interject myself in the conversation. Uh, I, I do agree with your prompt somewhat. I did think that some emotion is crowded out by the mental exercise, um, but particularly the the few scenes with his daughter are like the one where he like seeks her out at the peep show. Yeah, that, that was hard to watch. Pretty yeah. Yeah, pretty rough to watch. Especially you do get the the genuine stuff like the fairy game he plays with her. Like I'm a dead fairy and being brought back to life in public. It's so sweet and makes yeah. it even sadder. Yeah. yeah. You know what makes that scene even sadder in the peep show? When it is split with an ad from Crackle. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. Like, if someone away from that, you're already seeing what he's going through. And it's just like, hang on for two minutes and let us tell you about these great products. Johnny Hulu over here tearing down (laughs) Crackle. I got got three truck ads, like local area, like landmark Dodge, (laughs) in the middle of uh, the the daughter dying scene. It was like it cut to like him standing over her like dead body, quote unquote dead body. Uh, I guess in the airport, like after she dies, and he like looks down at her, and she's like laying out, or it's when he's reading the diary where she says that she's dying. 
Then it was just like, come on down to Landmark Dodge. We've got a full lot of 2020s. All the 2019s must go. And I'm like, I think she's a 2004, but she doesn't have to go yet. <laughs> um, well, I think, was this what you expected it to be? It's a great question for all Charlie Kaufman. Here, here's a pre-question. What is everyone's history with this? Is this anyone's first watch? Yes. Yeah, it was my first attempt to watch this movie. Yes, it was my third Charlie Kaufman watch, though. So it was about what I expected it to be after watching adaptation a couple times and mm-hmm. Anomalisa. Yeah, I think only once at the time, but so I've he, rewatched Anomalisa since then. Even though he didn't direct adaptation, it is still very much a Kaufman work. Oh yeah, yeah, um, he's fucking and, in it. And I would throw, <laughs> I would put uh, Big John Malkovich very in the same boat. Yeah, yes. Eternal Sunshine is the least. Charlie Kaufman movie that I've seen of maybe, Charlie Kaufman screenplays. I would just add maybe visually because the rest of it is pretty Kaufman. I I'd see. Say, I, would, I still think it's the least Kaufman. Yeah, even would, if it is very Kaufman. I mean, it's just it's the most like pop ready. I feel like. Yeah, I think it's the most accessible. Let's to, yeah. not, to not put it on like the sure. is it more or less right, right, right. Because okay. uh, I don't want to use him as like a as like the semiotic for inaccessible because it's not all inaccessible. Sure, Anomalisa was weird, but it was certainly not inaccessible. Right. Yeah, it, I was actually thinking maybe Anomalisa might be for me the mo- like the story might be the most yeah. accessible in a weird way. Yeah. Eternal Sunshine is kind of the most humanistic of all of, of all of these. Yeah. It's real easy to follow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, so I, I, I went into it also also being being warned, not too warned, but warned that like this movie is wild by both TJ David and Al, friend of the show, um, or member of me by us. Semi-regular guest. Yeah. 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 This was my third time watching this movie. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I rented it, DVD from Blockbuster back in like 2009. Then I bought used DVD from Blockbuster in like the a same couple DVD. years later. No one else had checked it out. You opened it up, you looked <laughs> yeah. at the library card, it had your name on exactly. it. It's just like a thumbprint. This is like David's thumbprint on the like <laughs> dust all around it. Yeah. So I watched it when I bought it, and then uh, a bunch of time later, right now. <laughs> yeah. Did this movie get better or worse with age for you? Did you appreciate it more in 09 or more in... Definitely more in 09, where I was uh, just always on the search for like a mind bender or like something that expands your consciousness type movie. I think like from 2002 to 2009, there was a ton of those kind of movies that I would always like, you guys see it multiple times to really appreciate it. Right. I think uh, in also, also back when you said stupid shit like that. Yeah, I think back in the day, I think I related it a lot more to the vulnerabilities and insecurities of uh, Caden about being like kind of unloved and in, and not stable, and you know people leaving him and being insecure about the future and what you know is his life going to have meaning. And now I'm kind of just like on the third watch of this movie, I'm a little like. Fuck that, dude. <laughs> Just a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, you feel for him, but there's definitely like a neurological yes. problem that makes him a villain almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's even like in the... And Brent, you've seen this part. Even in the beginning where he's like, every day he wakes up and the first thing he does is complain to his wife about arthritis or he's got psychosis with an ass or he's got something where you're just like, dude, get a fucking grip. Yeah, I kind of like, relate more to Adele for leaving that, and like when he is always complaining about how he feels, she's just kind of like numb to it. Yeah, I love her quote in the German magazine too, where it's just like, "I'm just surrounded by positive people all the time." Like yeah. I just, she moved to Germany and became famous, and I do like also her phone call where she's like, "I'm famous now." Yeah, uh, but this is like, I mean, he, he wakes up every day, grabs the Schenectadian. And or sorry, synectidian, and uh, flips it to the obituaries. Yeah, like there's That's there's the something scene, too in the movie. There's something about that that is self-imposed or a really deep-seated mental issue that he's just gone. He's seen every other type of specialist doctor, but hasn't seen like a therapist who's not a couples therapist who might be coming on to him, or he might just be like too sexually repressed in a loveless marriage to realize that she's not. Right. Uh, Alright, so there's a relatively new addition to the gauntlet, which is, uh, I replaced a lot of our theme talk with just a simple question. 
What is this movie most about? With, not plot-wise, but what is, like, you know, what's this movie really about? And then my follow-up question is, after reading a lot on Wikipedia about this movie, is this movie about too much? Or, <laughs> or... I mean, I definitely think it has a lot going on. Yeah. And a lot of, like, sub-themes. Mm-hmm. But I do think, like, failure and striving to perfection not being the way to go is definitely, like, the overarching theme. I think some of it, for being such like a virtuosic and celebrated screenwriter, I think one of the themes is like it's okay to be to strive for normal. Like it's his quest to like do this thing that's gonna matter that kind of destroys his life. Yeah, or at least be satisfied. With yeah, stuff and be like, this is over. I'm gonna move on. Because mm-hmm. um, he was never satisfied, even though he said he was. Like you said, mm-hmm. over and over again, uh, really until death. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of one of those movies. that's kind of like also, whatever you read, it's it's about everything or about nothing. <laughs> you you can kind of take whatever you want out of it for a whole bunch of topics. And there's some shit too that I just refuse to look into because mm-hmm. I was too busy looking for something else. And right. Probably read about it that night, but like the house being on fire constantly. Yep. I was just like that was that was something that was so overt that I was like I'm not even gonna play in that space yeah, with you. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You are doing way more interesting things without being so overt that I don't want... It It, it almost felt like bait. And it's like, I get that it is symbolic, and I get that there's probably some, like, reference, some... But, like, it's... I'm more interested in the goings-on between the characters and their emotional state than this, like, look at me, look at me, I'm symbolism moment. Right. There's a lot of things, if you just think about it, you can figure it out. I wouldn't right. exactly call him, like, the most complex screenwriter. Maybe just the most... most screenwriter, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot that's, like, hidden under a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of stuff there. If you want to tease it out, you can, but I- I'm with you, TJ. Some of the stuff I'm like... Yeah, I-, I see it. Some of the stuff is kind of a hat on a hat with some of the surrealistic things. Yeah. Some of it is very, like, you know, it is... You know, it hits you in the gut for some of the realizations and some of the things you can take out of it. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Well, I feel like a lot <laughs> of this we we've inherently already kind of discussed a lot of the uh, next section, which is the the director, the writing, the story, and whatnot, and all the choices made. Because boy, there are some choices made yeah. in this movie. Um, or, or I just think <clears throat> there was someone there was a review that I think is one of the ones cribbed on Wikipedia. <clears throat> where I, I think that it's less about the choices made and more about not having another person there to tell them to not make so many choices uh, in what kind of this is about. Are you talking about Kaufman or Philip Seymour Hoffman's character? Talking about both at the yeah, same that's, time. That's kind of what I'm writing at. I think this is a little bit like autobiographical of Kaufman too. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if there's anything like, that Kaufman has written that is. I mean, we have this conversation yeah. that everything is partly autobiographical, some things more than others. And you could like or dislike it for that or not. But I think that Kaufman is very autobiographical every time. Right. Yeah. And this especially, he has the clout from winning Oscars and like the movies doing well and being beloved. So now he can he has the clout to make his own movie and what's it gonna be about? That's what the movie's gonna be about. Right. <laughs> it's essentially also what adaptation is about. Right. Well, I'm curious because he was a an extremely well known screenwriter before this. And this is his first movie as a director, and he's only directed one movie since. And uh, do you think that the the move to directing and writing worked seamlessly? Do you think it was a seamless transition, or do you think he lost? Do you think he benefited from having another director to interpret his screenplay and put it on screen? I'm curious. I don't think that Eternal is a Eternal is hard to compare, right? Because it's like a top five movie of the century so far, but. I don't think this movie lost anything on the directing side. Okay. I think the movie is just slightly worse than being John Malkovich or Adaptation. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, the camera work was great. The visual effects were amazing. Yeah. I think he's very inspired by the people who adapted his stuff, too. There's a lot of Gondry and Jones in here. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And I don't think he lost anything, but he maybe could have. I wonder if a lot of Kaufman scripts start this way. Like the Eternal Sunshine or adaptation script, the first draft is like this, and then a director would help pare it down. 
Um, Maybe. All hypotheticals. Yeah, sure. Makes sense. Just, yeah. But a collaborator like that is sometimes, you know, and is a good edit can make it better more than, you know, a good expansion of the idea. Yeah. And I will say he is the sole writer for Being John Malkovich, Human Nature, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Schenectady, New York, and then that's it. So he had co-writers on adaptation because it was based on the book The Orchid Thief. Um, oh, right. And he, Susan his, his yeah. fictional brother was a co-writer, but Susan Orlean was a co-writer. And then Gondry and Pierre Bismuth uh, co-wrote on Eternal Sunshine. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> right. And it's for what it's without worth. looking. We don't know if that's like rewrites or right, whatever. Yeah. Is there a uh, is there a scene that stands out in this movie as as memorable or great? The daughter death scene is the one that always hung with me, but it's just because it's so like overtly gutting. Horrifying. Yeah. Um. But maybe not like, like specific like scenes, but a lot of the like sweeping shots of the set going up in the like final third of the movie mm-hmm. yeah it's very memorable because it's just so bizarre I think I think that, that the one scene thinking back now that really stands with me is um, I, I have to get the character's name because and, and sorry the actor's name because the character name doesn't help at all but the guy who is playing so Tom Noonan's character Sammy mm-hmm. when Sammy kills himself yeah. That really s- stood out to me because uh, we don't get a lot of grief out of Qatar <coughs> uh, yet, and we also are never sure if it's real. And then we have Sammy committing suicide in the mock location where he was going to commit suicide earlier before he was rescued by a bystander, except we have like a literal breaking of the fourth wall where when he kills himself, he falls through the wooden floorboards. Right. And that's like that was it's such a grounding moment for me in the movie that like I know for sure what happened here was a blend between what is real for the people participating in the play and for these people in their real life. Especially with the like the uh, the the cut kind of the the cut in tone that he's saying like I didn't jump like that wasn't accurate. It's right. all about like being genuine and being true in this play it's just like someone died that they're all friends with and they all spend a lot of time with yeah well how about the uh, performances in this movie good great uh, bad Hoffman's phenomenal yeah Hoffman's incredible I was yeah he's awesome the part of the bad thing about me not watching this movie recently is I can't point to anything but I remember when I watched it the first time uh, Diane Weist, am I saying it right? I always yeah. feel like I'm saying it wrong when I say it. Uh, but I thought she was phenomenal. I remember thinking that the first time through. But yeah. I kind of always do with her. Her her warmth is just like so, like such a respite at that point in time too. Yeah, yeah. it's got a deep cast. I mean, Samantha Morton plays Hazel, who he tries to have the. Uh, like, well, it's not really an affair at that time because he's already been left. But but he doesn't know it. Well, it's an affair because she's married. But before that, he has okay, an affair yeah. with her, and she's unmarried, and he's married, and doesn't know that he's been separated with. Uh, I thought she was good. She's very good. She's yeah. very good. I really like her. Kelly's watching a show, Harlots, right now, that she's in, and every time I see her, I always think of her as one of the precogs from Minority Report, mm-hmm. except the first thing I remember her in. She's got range, man. This, yeah. is, uh, this is also some early prestige movie work from uh, Michelle Williams. Yeah, I was surprised to see her. I, I had forgotten that she played the, the young Claire. Um... I just didn't know that she had been in this movie. I mean, that's yeah, it's a, a good pull for whatever the casting director is. Mm-hmm. Catherine Keener is always great in pretty much everything she's in. Not enough of her. I know to really man. call this like her movie, right? Yeah. Even like in the movie, the absence of her is also pretty powerful. Yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee in a weird, in a, she's a weird role. Always from what I saw, I was never did, on. Uh, did on, she get expanded twice? Later did she on, get expanded dramatically in the second half? No, no. Well, later on, weird, did you see the part where she has a German accent? Yes. And is it? And she is meets falling in love with uh, Olive. Yeah. Well, all of she's the, the people in the family. That's <laughs> that's the thing that's crazy is like <laughs> when uh, um, when Adele goes to Berlin. Next time he talks to anyone over there, everyone is living in one house, and there are multiple husbands, and it's just like. <laughs> 
Yeah, Olive has like seven fathers. Yeah, seven fathers is in love with her mother who taught her how, like, taught her about her vagina, and she's like, it's bizarre. <laughs> uh, were there any others that that stood out? Tom Noonan's really good. Yeah, in that role, just like creepy and like slightly charming, mm-hmm. but then creepy again because he's just a stalker. Yeah, of like an unimportant man. Uh, would you have gone like award worthy for Hoffman? Nomination worthy? Maybe. I mean, you could always go yeah. awards for Hoffman. This, yeah. this is a bizarre year for the Academy. I know, David. You know very intimately about. Uh, I guess this would have been. Not wrote, 2008. Yeah. It would be 2009. Right? It'd be 2008. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. It, it, yeah. Pretty sure it was in 2008. So this was the same year he was in Doubt. Yeah. Which he got nominated for. Yeah. So. And he's really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's. <laughs> Pretty much any Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. Yeah. Along came Polly. Without qualifying it, I'd probably say... He is the best thing in Along came Polly. Yeah. Yeah. People, if you're not aware, uh, he's the whole reason why the word sharded exists. It's Along came Polly. Created sharded. Yeah. Raindrops. Done, dude. (laughs) Make it rain! Really, the only movie I can think of where he is like, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle and doesn't really stand out is Twister. Fucking, he's great in Twister. Yeah. He's the, he's the, he's the comic Watch relief. Twister 20 times like me and then get back to me. <laughs> in a row. Yeah. You gotta tie your belt to the couch. <laughs> you really appreciate that. He also play the cow. <laughs> um, technical achievements in this movie? Any, any that stood out to you? Yeah, the special effects are incredible. Yeah. I think it's hard to argue. Yeah. I have, I have a weird comment about production design, which is something that I was going to give the credit for, but then I realized production design is only good if you pretend that it's an actual play that they're staging. Mm. Which, it's not. I don't know that I understand that. Yeah, I'm confused. They shoot their set, which is supposed to look like New York. In the fiction of us watching this, not fiction of us watching this movie, but in them, cre- but in them, in them creating, let's just well, say, in my case, it is fiction. One of the big ones, the, the scene where Claire has told him to leave, um, to move out of the apartment, and so then he, in real life, walks outside and looks up at the window, and yells, "Claire!" But we don't see that part. And then cut to immediately the next day, they're filming that scene where Claire leaves him, and he's like, "We need to wall this up." Mm. I'm saying that the production design maybe not. Maybe cheating a little bit because it's not like, oh, they filmed on location and then they built a set. Like, they were probably just both sets. Do you get what I'm saying? I do. I don't know if I agree. I'm just saying it's not not that it's not good production design, but just it felt like cheating. Like, they could just easily pull the camera back and, like, hey, it's a set. Yeah. But it was a set to begin with. Right. I get that. I still think the production design, just to get further meta, the production design of production design, the constant scaffolding and production, right. I think is pretty impressive. On the scale that the special effects, you know, help, uh, the scale that it's going like football fields wide, that you can kind of you see what's going on even in like the distance that this thing is. I felt how new. I felt like I knew how absurdly big it was. Mm-hmm. That was pretty confident. And there were like older parts of the set you could tell, and like newer parts that were that were built. Yeah. You know, on a newer time frame. Time. Yeah. Frame. Frame. Cool. Time. Frame. Uh, of those uh, of the the director, uh, the cast, and whatnot, is this uh, is this anybody's number one movie for them? No, or, not for or, me. Or close. Where does this rank near the top of your? Is this uh, in your Kaufman? You know, I have more favorite Kaufman scripts. I guess best Kaufman directed movie I've seen. Oh, you uh, like it better than Anomalisa? Yeah, you know, I I haven't seen that. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I like Anomalisa better. I like Anomalisa better. Um, and then written. I mean, no. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine is the t- first three are better than the ones he's directed. If yeah. we're going writing, uh, is this rank? I know you you said the Hoffman is great and always great, but does this uh? Is this a standout Hoffman performance among Hoffman performances? Without without looking at his filmography, I think I would take probably th- at least three movies before this one, even though he is really good in it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would take Doubt for sure. I would take Capote for sure. I love him in The Master. 
He's so good. Really, really good in that. And then if we're doing like, I mean, it's hard with supporting roles, but like he's fucking phenomenal in Boogie Nights. Yeah, he's so good at Boogie Nights. Mission Impossible Three is a great, such a good villain. He has an amazing tiny role in uh, Punch Drunk Love. Oh yeah. yeah. A truly supporting performance. Incredibly great. supporting, yeah. Uh, you've got a little baby Philip Seymour Hoffman in Sense of a Woman, and he's great in that oh, as a okay. truly supporting role, too. It's got to be a face-punchable little this asshole. This comic relief perfect in, like, The Big Lebowski. Yeah. Uh, plays, like, the straightest of straight men when he plays Art Hal in Moneyball. Uh, I mean... Steals every moment he's in in Almost Famous. Yeah, great. No, so, I mean, it's... Lester back then. What about starring roles? I think he steals the scene from Ethan Hawke until the devil knows you're dead. Mm. He's great in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's a simple heist movie, <laughs> but up against someone who, I know we're all really high on the acting ability of Ethan Hawke, and just like, just is ripping screen time from him. You said starring roles. He, I mean, it's gotta be. He's not in that. He's not, but if we're counting doubt, which I would, but yeah, some people might argue with me, but there's not that many. Yeah. Starring roles for him. I mean, it's definitely in his top five. I feel like Doubt has to be because Best Supporting Actress went to someone who had eight minutes of on-screen time. She was so good, though. She was really <laughs> good. But if but if that is Best Supporting Actress, because that's there's there's three people in that movie, four people in that movie. Not that it matters. He was supporting in Doubt for for the nomination. The nomination. Not was. that it matters. Right. But I mean, is name, it like this name roles where he's, where he's starring? <laughs> yeah, it's this. It's Capote. Uh, like most wanted man, it's the one that came out after, right after he died. Would you consider him supporting in the master? Uh, see, that's that's kind of a. Did tough anybody ever see Jack goes boating? No. no, I mean he plays Jack, so I assume he's the lead in that. <laughs> in the master, he's not he's not really the protagonist, but he is sort of the. That's. He winds up being the focal point of the movie. Two conversations. Yeah, Freddie Quall, I would say, is probably the protagonist. Yeah. Uh... However, that's like just too. I know. I know the Academy hates doing two leads in a movie. Not the Zane, Academy, or whoever. Does it. Yeah, the uh, the studios. Everybody has decided that the Academy would hate that. Mm-hmm. But they are they are co leads in that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's uh, got one of the funniest lines in one of my favorite comedies. Has anybody ever seen the Invention of Lying? Yeah. yeah, I fucking love that movie. I think it's a great comedy. But he's got my favorite line, which is a uh, sweet always wanted a black friend. When Ricky Gervais is trying to teach him what lying is. All right, let's pretend I said I'm black. Sweet always wanted a black friend. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, was this movie financially successful? I no. can't imagine that it was. No, it no. made four point six million on a twenty million dollar budget. <laughs> yeah, which for you, what? <laughs> I was going to say, but if you add in the MacArthur Genius Grant, <laughs> you made this movie possible. It, it feels like like the the amount of money, $20 million. I read what we were doing recently where we were looking at like someone's uh, like budget or box office success, and every every time we looked at a new movie, it was $20 million. I feel like $20 million is the like fill-in-the-blank here amount that they just put when they just have no idea for how much a, a movie costs. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't... You can see where that money went, but... The insurance company is like, about $20 million? And they're just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <right." laughs> Sounds good. You think when they greenlight a Charlie Kaufman movie, they're just like, okay, we're going to lose this much money. It's just <laughs> like, this is what like, nominations are possibly worth to us, because that's what they're probably hoping to get out of this. No studio is making this movie thinking, we got a hit on our hands. I think it would have been a realistic expectation this would at least be a screenplay or a Philip Seymour Hoffman thing. I was surprised when I when I saw that it, it blanked at the Oscars. I thought it would have gotten something. Because it's, it's like a critical darling hated by audiences kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One of the issues is that it was also hated by about like a third of the critics. Yeah. Um, it is predictable yeah, but which it was critics. a third of critics that fucking suck. It's Rex Reed. <laughs> yeah, Rex yeah. Reed's a moron. <laughs> yeah, fuck himself. That's the most predictable response to any movie I've ever seen. Is just I, I scrolled down. It's like Rex Reed hated this film. I was like, well, Rex yeah. Reed hates movies. I don't know why he's got his job. He's got a string of like a string of words that he uses to describe this, where I doubt that his review like expands on any of them. And I'm just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I might agree with some of these po- these adjectives you're using to describe the movie, but not like this vitriol. 
does he even write reviews or is he just like you meet someone who's like hi I'm Rex Reed I'm a blurbist I just write blurbs for a living my favorite Rex Reed review is of VHS 2 which he says the first sentence is this movie is unwatchable from beginning to end and the second sentence is I walked out 20 minutes after it started <laughs> it's like you're a fucking idiot it's, it's, it's like Hall of Fame error was mixing up uh, Benicio Del Toro, Del Toro, Del Toro and Guillermo Del Toro yeah because when he was shitting on uh, Shape, Shape of Water Shape of Water hmm. um, well we usually ask if it wasn't successful I really hate Rex <laughs> I love Utah yeah if it wasn't successful, what what was the hurdle that it didn't clear? But I think it's pretty fucking obvious. With this it's the movie, movie itself. <laughs> yeah. It's the whole thing. The movie is a hurdle. The movie was also a Sony Picture Classics, just for what it's worth, which is a studio that notoriously doesn't make money. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they set out to. I mean, like, I was looking back at, like, what's their last big movie? It was, like, uh, The Rider? Was it last year? The Rider? The one we watched? Yeah. yeah. All right. That movie would cost, like, no money. It made yeah. some. It made some. Sony Pictures Classics is one of those those like A twenty four. Yeah, if they if it's got an Oscar slot predetermined, like they'll focus everything on it. Right. If it looks like it's not gonna work, like critics critical pathway probably bombed this one. Then they move on to the next thing. It's it's Sony, but they don't have an unlimited budget for all of their darlings to be celebrated. Is this movie important to? recent film history do you think it was uh, influential in a notable way beyond just being Charlie Kaufman beyond like his natural influence I guess from other movies no if we're moving that aspect is no. there anything about this movie that stands out no, no. Well, not yet it's ten years ago yeah I think that this was just sure. fueled to the fire of the Charlie Kaufman circle jerk with critics and they were like they which 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 ones <laughs> well the the ones the ones who love him this this was the 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 aggrandizing pat on the back that I think that he needed uh, for people to uh, take bets on Charlie Kaufman directed I mean, tons of critics call it the best movie of the decade so I mean people people I think love it, was it Ebert's number one yeah the aughts which is that's notable yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's <clears throat> it it goes <clears throat> without saying that there is a wide stream appeal that is for some reason, present now in Charlie Kaufman, and that proof is Netflix bought the, uh, what's it, First Rights? They, they, they bought uh, his next movie, whatever it was, uh, and it's called, now it's coming out next It's called, year. like, The Death While Dying or some Charlie Kaufman shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I actually think it could be called The Death While Dying, comma, or some Charlie Kaufman shit. <laughs> That's true. He would absolutely name no, it. No, it's called something really pithy. But it's a it's a, it's the next Charlie Kaufman project, and I think that that's you know some somehow he was given a blank check. It'd be great it's called on thinking of ending things. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've watched the trailer, and it looks yeah. more along the lines of a coming out next year uh, of an Eternal Sunshine or movie of that ilk. Have you just like if you're a filmmaker and you say I'm going to make a meta movie? Do you think someone has to show you this movie? And it's like. They kind of have like a South Park Simpsons did it. <laughs> like, there's nothing meta you can do that this movie didn't do. Got them did it. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking of put my putting myself in my next movie. Kaufman did it. Twice. Yeah. I mean, twice, like in the same movie. Yeah. Once, like <laughs> legitimately. Like, yeah. Did. yeah. I mean, if you count the number of people who play Katard in this movie, it's like five times. Yeah. <laughs> Um, has this movie aged well? Hasn't really had time to age, really. But it can't age. Has it aged poorly? Movies like this can't age poorly, really, because they're just going to be looked at like art house projects. Yeah, it feels a little evergreen. Yeah. Plus, it is clever that the movie kind of puts itself out of time. Yep. With how True. it kind of um, accelerates at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's that there's an element of mental illness in the main character that uh, helps it remain timeless. In that, like you, you are learning about passages of time as the character is, um, that kind of help it stay if, relevant. If anything, yes, yeah, I think it's more relevant about people thinking that they are the star of their own movie, their own universe. You know, social media yeah. is basically one large synecdoche, New York. <laughs> A weird fucking sentence to say. All right, boomer. It seems like it was at the end of the movie. 
Like it could have been. <laughs> I remember the. It could have been in the dialogue that Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. You were saying that, and I was like, "Oh, that is like a really important like learning moment in the movie." Just felt bad that people to shouldn't say be that. like that. But the whole the priest speech, which Katard like really ponders, and the third iteration of the funeral, mm-hmm. he like where the priest kind of goes off script delivering the monologue. Mm-hmm. He like starts to reflect on that as like a good thing that everyone should be the protagonist of their own story. So I don't know like where the movie actually lies with that individual theme of whether that is good or bad for everyone to treat themselves as the right. most important part of their story. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I don't, I don't know anyone over now. Well, it's, it's time to vote. Wait. <laughs> Do you guys want to take a guess of what uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's last role on the stage was? Definitely Willie Loman. Willie Loman, definitely yeah. salesman. <laughs> Classic. <coughs> He's like, this seems oddly familiar to me. <laughs> yeah. Alright, does anyone want to go first with their vote? Sure. It's a no for me. Um, Kaufman could be in my personal talk of fame multiple times. I think he probably will be if we do this for long enough. Um, and there's probably like some universe where I fucking love this movie and it's my favorite Charlie Kaufman movie. I just am not occupying that universe. At the <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a pretty easy no, and probably was as soon as you mentioned it, just because I'd seen it before. Um, but literally every other Kaufman written work, I would have to ponder. Maybe not Anomalisa yet, but there are probably two I would not have to ponder. And they are, I think I'd be known Anomaly, so it's a very good movie, but yeah. it's not quite there for me. Right. And then I would not really have to ponder uh, Eternal Sunshine. That's an easy yes for me. Yeah, I guess Right. setting ponder as the minimum. Yeah, right. right. Um, but being John Malkovich would be a yes. I'd have to find something I wouldn't like in it. Uh, I have yes. seen the other one. What's it called? Adaptation? No. Human Nature. And it's fucking garbage. Yeah. Like yeah, a literal bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> wow. David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All it's right, your well. time to vote. Uh, hard no. Hard no. Hard no. Ooh. This is uh, it, it. Watching it the third time, it's just a lot more grating. Yeah. And uh, miserable, kind of watch for me. It is very clever, but at the expense of Being my good. patience <laughs> a little bit. It you know it's it's a lot. You know, I hear the phrase, it's a lot of a hat on a hat, and, you know, you did a good job, buddy. I'm sure it was fun to write some of this stuff. Um, I had a lot more patience and uh, about it when I was <laughs> a lot younger. But it, I don't know if it's just, like, being older, being married, having a kid, having a job. It's just, like, it just didn't care as much about his life. Fair. Not that I hate the movie. I appreciate parts of it. And you don't have to like, apologize to it. I like parts of it. I own it. <laughs> I'm probably never going to actually watch the physical copy ever again. But, uh, yeah, it just hit me the wrong way this time, even though I appreciate Kaufman. Well, Chris, like a Hawaiian voting uh, at the end, end of the day, on election day, it doesn't matter. But we'll count your vote anyway. Yeah, I'm a no also. Um, it's just... I, I I understand that this is this is the Charlie Kaufman magnum opus after being forced to create things for other people and now he gets to create something for himself just like for the character in the movie itself but it was a little meandering to get to uh, any any true fanfare from me if it would have focused on and I know that it's not supposed to because it's supposed to be about the, about the mundane, the everyday. But if it would have focused solely on a couple things, I think that it would have been able to uh, maybe been a yes for me. Uh, and I think you do see some of that focus uh, from his other screenplays. Uh, some ones that we would say we would vote in. Um, but I think just if someone would have explained to me from the beginning, all of the stories and all the themes and the storylines and the characters, I would have went, that sounds interesting. I won't like it. Yeah. And I think that after having given it a shot and watching it, I was like, that's interesting. I don't like it. And yeah, I'm still there. The yeah. end of the movie. 
Well, there's just something in it. it, It's lacking the like propulsion of an eternal sunshine, or even adaptation is real navel gazy, but it still feels like it's driving. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, adaptation's got that like comedy, that awkward comedy that Mm -hmm. draws you to the screen. Eternal Sunshine has like super charismatic performances from the two leads. They're so good. Mm -hmm. Um, And this movie had none of that. But I was just like, it felt like I was watching. A play, like kind of like Death of the Salesman, where it's like I know that I'm supposed to appreciate this, and I just don't. Yeah, it's I, really well done. I kind of have a feeling like Charlie Kaufman would be delighted by that. It's like that's the point. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. feels like the kind of which is shit. Fucking fun, man. <laughs> yeah. Like totally. Like when you have a funeral on top of a funeral on top of a funeral. Yeah, <laughs> on like, a hat. Yeah, yeah, and it would be one of the highest rated movies. I would probably easily vote no to in a talk of fame. I mean, it's easily four stars for me because there's literally... I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with it because if I'm going off of hypotheticals that built up in my head about what Charlie Kaufman is trying to attempt when he makes movies, I think he nailed his... Oh, um, yeah. You know? I think he did exactly what he wanted to do and I think that part of that is also like taking a $15 million bath. I think he was like perfect. Yeah. I'm happy this movie isn't commercially successful. Because it's not for everyone. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it like proves his point he's making in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He made the... It's like a, yet another layer. Yeah. yeah. It's us watching the movie, but nobody really watched the movie, and the movie not making money. Yeah. This this movie is the postmodern version of The Producers. Yeah. We're still in the movie right now. Yeah. In that case, I'm voting yes. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it on its head. I love myself. That's why. I think I'll just look over and I've been I've replaced myself with a different Brent. Diane Weiss. <laughs> with Diane Weiss. I'm just and watching from the window. Yeah. <laughs> just watching Diane Weiss podcast with you guys. Uh, I was probably on my way to a no as well. That's how it was feeling. Was it because of the crackle experience? No. No. <laughs> despite the... Yeah. Um, but... Alright. Well, there you have it. Uh, <coughs> three and a half votes against. Yep. And, and zero we'll, uh, votes for We'll follow up when you finished it yeah. for your final vote. And I think we had just decided we didn't know the order of the homework assignments anymore, but I think it is, David, because Force Majeure was the last one, I believe. I just Chris has got to get one now. Yeah, I bet Chris, not David, even though I said David. That would have been awesome if we just, in the pre show, we were like, all right, Chris has got a good pick. He's got a thing. We David! Started, and it's like, you want, fuck you, David, pick a movie. Boom, Synecdoche, New York. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I told TJ before uh, we recorded. That I had no idea that synecdoche and schenectady were different things. Yeah, I didn't until either. I started googling how to pronounce it, so I knew how to pronounce synecdoche when we started talking about this. And I was like, synecdoche, New York pronunciation, and it was like giving me like dictionary definitions for the word. And I was like, wait, 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 this is a town Wikipedia. Don't be stupid. <laughs> and I was like, did you mean? I was like, oh, fuck that. But that horror story aside, I've got a horror movie that I want to assign. Uh, we talked recently about watching It Chapter 2, um, and I am really excited about uh, October coming up. I always make you guys watch horror movies. Spooktober. Uh, in Spooktober, and we're going to kick it off uh, what in what is going to be the uh, last week of September for our discussion of this movie. And it's one I talked about a bunch, and I didn't ever watch, and I didn't go to the theaters, and then it didn't come to a streaming service that I had, so I found it. I'm going to make you guys watch the movie Revenge. Revenge? Revenge. It Sorry, is a, Mel Gibson. No, it is a That's small Australian horror movie in the Australian horror movie genre. And it is uh, about a woman who is taken to uh, the outback with her boyfriend. And uh, bad shit happens to her. And then the second half of the movie becomes a revenge plot. Um, it's A24 and it is really highly reviewed. Um, just kind of a flash in the pan kind of movie, and it is available on Shutter. Nice Shutter, um, making its talky talk debut. You finally made it, Shutter. Yeah, <laughs> fuck Crackle. We're going to Shutter. Um, <laughs> Here's why Shutter crackles. <laughs> uh, but so if you're listening to this and you're like, but I don't have Shutter, uh, Google it. Uh, you can sign up for Shutter for like a seven day free trial uh, without putting in any promo codes. If you just want to watch this movie. 
Um, otherwise, it's six bucks for a month, and you can. I mean, if you're like me, like watching horror movies, Shutter's got a huge collection and even curated collections by like big actors who come on and say what which what their favorite horror movies are and stuff. But so it's Revenge, and it's on Shutter. S H U D D E R. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. October is always. I've not a- seen it. I've seen a horror movie that was similar and set in Australia mm-hmm. and Outback. And I was like, have I seen this? You said on Wolf Creek? No, that's the. Wolf Creek's the. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wolf Creek. There's yes. two Wolf Creeks. There's yeah. a shitty Bigfoot movie called Wolf Creek. Yeah. I've seen them both. Yeah. And then there's an Australian Outback horror slasher movie, Wolf Creek, that was in theaters in that's like, like 2014. A, yeah, it's like a older crazy guy after yeah. a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That one's good too. Yeah. What's worth. Cool. Anyway, I think that's the podcast. Yep, that's it. That was Talkie Talk. We are Talkie Talk. You are Talkie Talk. Uh, please subscribe. Please give us a rating. Join our Facebook groups. Email us, tweet it at us, and uh, contact us really in any way you want. That's that's fine. Please text, text uh, me. Yeah. Uh, thank you that to the David, thank you to the Willow Walkers, <laughs> Willow Walkers. and thank you to Burifa. They provide our intro and outro music respectively. And uh, that's it. Thanks, Brent. Bye-bye. Bye.
Kicking rocks down old dusty roads Small town slowpokes long time ago Kicking out records of all the things that I know All the things that I know 